very happy Friday to you, and I want to say thank you, first of all, to all you who are supporting Into the Word financially. If anyone out there is being prompted by the Holy Spirit to join them in that effort, it's easy enough to do. All you have to do is write down the contact information here at the end of the program today. Then you can send your one-time or ongoing gift of any amount to that address, and it will be applied to the radio broadcast fees. Thank you for taking care of that. I also want to remind you that I am here as a resource to you for Bible questions that are prompted from this study or from studies that you might be having on your own or with some acquaintances or maybe even out of your home church. Uh, Feel free to use the same contact information uh, to get in touch with me. Fridays, I also set aside a little bit of time to say, You need a home church. Everybody needs a home church. And if you don't have one, you need to go out and find one. Uh, Everybody should be involved regularly. And when I say regularly, I mean pretty much every week. Uh, As long as you're not sick, you need to be worshiping and fellowshipping and studying and serving and praying together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to be encouraging one another to love and do good deeds and to be encouraged, uh, because this is where we get energized with what we need to shine the light during the following week uh, so that people can see our good works and give glory to God the Father and perhaps even... uh, Seek the name of Jesus. If you are within driving distance of Elkhart East and you happen to be looking for a home church, please come check us out and make sure you introduce yourself to me as one of my radio Bible students. I'd appreciate that a lot. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We should be able to finish this comfortably today. We're going to start back at verse number 7 as kind of a review. This last chapter is kind of a catch-all follow-up to the main thrust of the letter, which was, don't throw Jesus under the bus. Don't abandon Jesus. Don't think that you can go back into Judaism and be comfortably saved without Jesus. Uh, This letter, I think, is written sometime in um, 65, maybe the very earliest part of 66, when the Roman persecution of Christians is at its peak uh, in Rome itself and on the Italian peninsula. Nero is killing people. Uh, as Christians right and left, uh, them having been accused of being arsonists, you know, wanting to burn the empire down uh, and to um, and to replace it with their own uh, their own vision of a kingdom of their Christ. And so some Jewish believers might have been tempted to think that they could avoid that persecution by backing off of Jesus. But as the author has repeatedly shown, Jesus is the whole point of Judaism. Everything from the book of Genesis onward in the scripture pointed toward his coming as he who is salvation. 
his death, his resurrection, uh, his atonement, his ascension uh, to the right hand of the Father where he becomes the mediator of this better covenant, this new covenant, the covenant that God always intended to have with those that love him. And so, having already made the case for all of that, uh, the author then starts hitting on some things that he thinks believers need to focus on. Uh, he talked about, you know, loving the brethren. He talked about loving the strangers and taking good care of them. He talked about having respect for marriage and uh, keep keeping everything on the up and up. And then uh, here in verse 7, as part of our review, he said, remember your leaders. So these are the spiritual leaders in the church. Uh, particularly the, 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 we're talking about the elders. I think we might be referring a lot to the apostles, uh, most of whom are dead by now. Only John seems to be left. Um, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So the people who communicated the gospel to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, their outcome is probably going to be twofold. Number one is that they lived the Christian life. They modeled what they taught. And every preacher, every elder in a church, every shepherd, every spiritual leader in a church needs to be modeling. They need to be preaching what they practice, okay? Um, so consider that but also the fact that these guys were faithful even to death. Uh, they died, many of these folks, uh, rather than give up Jesus. And so that needs to be imitated, especially in times of persecution. Uh, verse 8 is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So he is the unvariable. Uh, he never changes. He is the center of all of this. Uh, so do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So we have mentioned several times in our survey of the New Testament the problem of the Judaizers. These were the Pharisees who kind of came into the New Testament church, uh, supposedly because they believed in Jesus as the Messiah, but they brought with them their Phariseeism. And then they insisted uh, that all Gentiles had to be converted, proselyted, to Judaism, or they couldn't have Jesus. And so they expected them to be circumcised if they were men, they expected all of them to keep kosher diets. That's the mention of the food here. They expected them to keep the Sabbath day. They kept, expected them to keep all the high holy days. And they expected them to dress and act in accordance with Pharisaic principles. And of course, in the New Testament, uh, books like uh, Acts chapter 15, the entire book of Galatians, um, some of Ephesians, some of Colossians, uh, Paul in particular said, that's heresy, that's false teaching, and it needs to be eradicated. So here is the reminder from probably a student of the Apostle Paul 
Uh, don't get sucked into that sort of stuff that is focused on the flesh because it doesn't do you any good. And then he makes this connection, this allegorical connection. We, meaning we Christians, have an altar, a spiritual altar, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So when the priests did their ministry in the temple complex, most of the sacrifices that they offered, animal sacrifices or food sacrifices of any sort, sometimes grain offerings, a portion was burned up on the altar to God, and a portion was kept for the priest to eat uh, as a tithe, uh, but also as kind of a uh, a serving meal, uh, because they were in service that day. And then a portion was taken by the worshiper to eat for himself and to share with family and friends. Uh, so that's what he's referencing here. And he says, you know, we Christians, we have an altar that we offer sacrifices on, which the current priests have no right to eat at. Verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So the, uh, some of the sacrifices, specifically those designated as completely uh, burned sacrifices, uh, the ashes in, end up outside of the um, out of outside the temple complex, outside of the tabernacle first, and then outside the temple complex. Um, he, the reason he mentions outside the camp here is because he wants to jump in to this parallel, this, um, this, this comparison. Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus was crucified outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem outside of the walls that were around the Temple Mount uh, as a symbol that he was taking the sin away from the people. So he, he poured out his blood, he poured out his life outside the gate because he was symbolizing sacrifice. Verse 13, Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. Now, I think there's more uh, in here than what most people understand. Uh, we are to go to Jesus, but that also means leaving the camp, leaving behind the Jewishness of uh, the sacrificial system. Uh, they don't know it yet, even though it's been prophesied. But the Jewish people reading this letter will no longer have even the ability to go to the Temple Mount and offer sacrifices within a matter of years. If I'm correct that this is being written somewhere around 65 or 66 early, um, the Temple will be completely gone by the summer of 70. So less than four years. It'll be gone. And so all of the remaining Jewish people need to come to Jesus because 
the sacrificial system will be irreparably defunct in summer of 70. Verse 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's another little hint uh, based on Jesus' uh, uh, prophecy known as the Olivet Discourse, uh, sometimes referred to as Matthew 24. Um, Jerusalem is on on the chopping block as well. Uh, Jerusalem will be completely dismantled with the exception of three towers and a section of wall between them uh, that will be kept as an example of how powerful a city it was. The rest of it will be gone. It'll be erased. Uh, But the heavenly Jerusalem, that can't happen to. Verse 14, for we have here no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, that is, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we talked about the idea that we Christians today are priests, but we're not priests in an earthly temple. We are priests in the heavenly temple temple. And so our service is not burning up animals. It's not burning up uh, pieces of grain. Uh, Our service is offering up a sacrifice of praise to God, specifically talking about Him, talking about His name. Remember, God's name, Yahweh, means He who is. He just was. He was, is, and will always be. So we're supposed to be praising him, and we're also supposed to be praising his son, who has the name, he who is salvation. And so this is our spiritual form of worship. Romans chapter 12, right? That we are to no longer be conforming to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds uh, so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Uh, This is our reasonable form of worship, isn't it? Our service. Uh, This is how we sacrifice to God, is we talk about all that he's done. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Uh, We are supposed to be encouraging one another to love and good deeds, and we are also supposed to be shining our light in such a way that the people can see our good deeds and give glory to God. Uh, All of uh, the salvation that has happened in our life has happened so that we can be saved to do the good works that God has had for us to do ever since the creation of the world. So we are to be holy as he is holy, uh, be perfect, be merciful, do all the things his way. So that is exactly what our author is encouraging here. It says, don't fail to do the good stuff, to share what you have. Um, when John the Immerser was ministering, He was telling people, repent, which means change the way you're thinking. Bring your thinking into alignment with God's way of thinking. 
But that will also cause you to change the way you act. And so some people came to him and said, this repentance thing, what's it supposed to look like? And he said, well, if any of you have two changes of clothes and you know somebody that has no changes of clothes, give them one, share it with them. See, that is what should be on our hearts, is keep our eyes out. What is it that people need? And it's not just physical things. I mean, you can um, you can do all sorts of nice things for somebody, but the more important thing is, what do they know about Jesus? What sort of relationship do they have with him? How can I help them in that area as well? So it's with such sacrifices that God is pleased. Verse number 17. He comes back to the leader's idea again here. Obey your leaders. Now, I'm always intrigued by the word for obey here because it's not the, well, it is a typical word for obey, but it's not the typical word as in hear and do. Um, it's, it's actually a word for being persuaded by. So it basically means listen to them and consider what they say and then get her done. And so that, that is what we need in the church. We need people to be paying attention to the teaching and the lifestyle of their leaders. So that will cause obedience, uh, emulation. So obey your leaders submit to them. Submit has this idea of finding your place in the ranks, uh, and it is uh, representative of the need we have for some sort of rank structure uh, because of chaos. I, I almost always revert to my military background in this. In the military, uh, you've got a military mission, and you've got submissions underneath that, and that's the goal. Those things have to be carried out. And uh, sometimes, though, in the chaos, there might be disagreement as to how best carry out the orders. And when that happens, rank is what's going to determine what, um, what tact is going to be taken next. And the military has very clear understandings of rank. Uh, it doesn't make a colonel more important as a person than a uh, master sergeant, but it does say that the master sergeant must obey the colonel. That's the way it works. Um, unless, of course, the colonel gives an illegal order. And so here, he says, all of you who are in fellowship, you know, you need to be listening to those that are in leadership, the shepherds, the 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 preachers, the teachers. You need to submit to them, follow their directives, follow their example. Uh, and uh, it says here, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Um, I love the word shepherd as a descriptor for spiritual leaders in the church because it it's really more of a job description that's talked about right here. They're like shepherds trying to keep an eye on the sheep in the flock, making sure that 
they're healthy, make, making sure they behave themselves with each other, and that they don't get in trouble uh, by wandering away. Uh, so the shepherds of the church have to give an answer to Jesus for how they did that job. One of the things that weighs heavily on me, and I verbalize this often, is that I know one of these days I will have to give an account for how well I passed Scripture on to people and for the advice that I gave uh, to people. And so since I'm in leadership position, that means I do that more often than others. And so I... I've already got that weighing on my head, and so do your, so does your pastor, your preacher, your minister, your elders, your overseers, your shepherds, however you term them. Don't make their heart, don't make their life harder than it needs to be. He says here, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know what really kills me. <laughs> Uh, it kills me when I have preached my heart out and I've really put a lot of work into trying to lay out the scripture and encourage people to do the right thing in some very specific area. And then right after all of that is over with, somebody meets me um, at the door and says, you know, you need to talk to somebody about the heat. It was way too hot in there today. That just kills me. Or somebody that um, I'd lay all the scripture in front of them uh, that shows that some of the stuff they're engaging in is inappropriate, and they basically tell me that it's none of my business. That hurts me. It kills me. Hurts my heart. Makes me groan. And so that's what the author is saying here, is all of you that are in the church... um, Pay attention to what your leaders are trying to do on your behalf, and don't make their life harder than it already is. And along those lines, he then engages in a prayer request, which we preachers, I don't think we do prayer requests quite as much with people at the church as we do maybe with each other. Uh, But if we were, we'd probably say something like this. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Preach your prayer request. Please pray for me. Pray that I'll do things right. Pray that my studies will lead me down the right understandings. Help me as I put together uh, my my the way that I phrase things when I teach, help me have appropriate illustrations. Pray for me, because I want to do the right thing. Verse number 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, this is the first time that the author really starts hinting at stuff that's going on in his life. It seems as if he is probably in detention of some sort. Uh, Now, some people think this is Paul. I already gave you my very strong reason at the beginning of our study as to why it probably isn't, because this person seems to be writing as a second-generation Christian, that is, somebody who had never met Jesus in person, 
and gotten the gospel, and that is definitely not Paul. Uh, but he is living in a time when some of the leaders are being rounded up. Remember, the Apostle Paul was probably arrested in Asia province and then shipped off to Rome and then eventually executed there. Uh, it seems as if Timothy, according to this uh, closing uh, uh, area, was also arrested. Maybe he had you know, gone to Rome to check up on uh, Paul there in the end of his life, and he ends up being detained. Uh, so the author of this letter says, I want you to pray for me even more so that I can be able to come back and see you sooner. Uh, now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So, nice descriptors of things we've been talking about. The resurrection is at the center. Uh, the death, the atoning blood, all of that is at the center of the gospel. So, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So may God work through us all. May he bring about the pleasing sort of lifestyle in us that comes from Jesus Christ to bring glory and honor. Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, this is a pretty good long letter. It's longer than a lot of uh, Paul's letters, uh, but it's, it's brief. It's tight. And he says, please think about it. Consider it. Don't just throw it off to the side. Verse 23, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So Timothy apparently has been released, and it may be that they're both going to head back to Asia province, which is where I suspect the people reading this are from. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. So tell all your leaders hello for us. Tell all your brothers and sisters in Christ hello for us. Those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Now, as you would expect, some Christians left Italy during the Neronian persecutions. So wherever, wherever these guys were, it must have been from outside Italy. And so now they're saying hello as well, where they've been relocated. And then he ends the way so many great New Testament books end. Grace be with you all, and I pray that for you too.